Good morning. Welcome to I Don't Know What I Want to Do. I'm Sanjay Parker and I interview people with real jobs in order to inform you, the listener, what kind of real jobs there are. Today we're speaking to Adam Benzinski. Adam is a senior product designer at Healthcare Human Factors. He is also a sessional instructor at OCAD University in design sketching and a regular potter. He also helped with the branding for this podcast. Hi, Adam. Hi, Sanjay. Happy to be here. So glad you're here. Um, listeners, this is actually the second time we were recording this podcast. I messed up the first time. Anyway, so Adam, you kind of have an advantage. You know all the questions are going to be. <laughs> expecting good stuff. <laughs> um, Adam, let's start with what do you do? What does a product designer do? So I am a product designer at Healthcare Human Factors, which is a design and engineering firm, part of the University Health Network. Um, and what we do is provide design uh, support for any clinical or research tools that are developed by UHN, as well as uh, testing the different medical products that would be used in uh, critical care units. So um, I find myself more on the design side where as a product designer, I am uh, part of several different teams that are looking to get uh, more research done on any specific, um, you know, type of disease um, or illness. Currently, I'm working in the, the cancer care space, uh, developing uh, tools for, for clinical and uh, patient use. That's really cool. So can you give us a bit of a, a sense of what does a typical day look like? like what, what, what are you doing all day? Sure. So I'll give you some more insight into uh, the cancer care project that I'm on, where Great. I surround myself with uh, product people. In this case, you know, I've got myself as the product designer. There are product managers that help define the requirements for what we need to do and in, in design in the tool or service that we create, as well as support from our uh, design directors and and medical directors. So that's our sort of product team, and we interface with different clinics where we I find myself chatting with nurses one day, clinicians the next, um, or administrative assistants, or uh, understanding their, their workflows, their needs, so that when we design the tools that we design, we're designing um, for to alleviate some sort of stress on the workflow or providing some sort of new value, whether that be you know digitizing older systems or um, providing new workflows um, in this sort of digital era that we and in this virtual era that we find ourselves in. Okay, so how much of your time is spent kind of discussing uh, the product uh, with whoever, nurses, directors, whatever, versus actually sitting at, a, at I assume, a desk, uh, maybe a sure. standing desk, um, designing the product? Sure. So, I mean, I, I would say the majority of my time is making sure that we, I'm actually... Uh, translating what people need into a, a product form. So in healthcare, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, we they need new tools or they need new processes or services. But uh, And so the necessity is there, the pain points are there, but the products that they use don't necessarily meet them. So 
what I find myself doing a lot is interfacing, chatting with these people so that I can translate what their needs or desires are into some sort of product. And I would say, yeah, it would, I would say the majority of my time is spent, um, you know, chatting with them, understanding what they need. Um, getting feedback, yeah. Getting feedback, almost like cre- in, in, some, in some senses, you know, uh, creating, you know, um, sketches or ideas so that such that we can have something to talk about and, um, and, and, and progress further because the development cycle is quite lengthy and long. So, um, it's, it's my job as a designer to, to make sure that we design the right thing first before we design it at all. Cool. So for the products you make, what's the ratio of them being used inward facing versus outward facing? Are they being used by the people who you work with or are they mainly being used by, you know, the clients or the personnel who are coming into your organization? Sure. I guess, yeah, it's a little bit of, I've in the past year, I've worked on two large projects. One that is, um, I would say more internal to UHN where we have been helping Princess Margaret Cancer Center transition to a virtual or transition into virtual care. So we've created a virtual care management system that uh, clinicians and patient flow coordinators use to uh, order to to act on orders that the physician is is inputting, um, and but I've also created patient facing tools. In this case, we've created a website called Path, where uh, it is creating patient reported outcomes, um, which is essentially just a questionnaire that they would be filling out um, a couple of days before they go do their appointment, whether it's online or in person. And that's that's a a, a product that we've created so that. Um, physicians and the care team can have more data to to understand and to reference um, on the patient's critical uh, uh, vitals or or their uh, symptoms generally. Okay, so it sounds like you're part of what you're doing is also kind of designing applications and websites, which yes. is different from what I was thinking, which is more physical products. So in an application, say, or or in that uh, in a, in a uh, so in an application, say, you're not a programmer, you're not designing the uh, the back end, you're designing the front end, you're designing the user interface, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I would say part of, you know, product design or digital product design is the, you know, UI, UX, which is user interface or user experience of an application. And so I work with development teams specifically more, more uh, you know, I, I work very closely on the front end with them. So I design the thing that they use to reference in creating the actual website. But the I also understand the f- workflow that the clinic needs so that I'm also informing how the data is flowing in the back end, not you know, specifically, but I would say like from a, a hierarchy point of view, just so that we are capturing and, and our system is able to uh, respond in the way that the clinic needs. Okay, cool. So let's pivot a little bit into education now. Sure. Um, you studied and now you teach at a place called OCAD. Um, can you tell us what that is for anyone who's not, who's listening, who's not from Ontario? OCAD University uh, is Ontario College of art and design university. And so that's where I studied industrial design for four years. And I currently teach there as a special instructor, focusing in on uh, teaching industrial design students how to sketch. Okay, now you might be biased here, but how important do you think that education was to what you do now? 
I think OCAD's education was was important to me because of the sort of style of it. Um, I would say that there are a variety of styles and when looking for uh, post-secondary education. And, and OCADS is very, um, I would say, autonomous in some senses or very meta in others where you're not only learning very technical you know, skills that may or may not be applicable, but they focus in on teaching frameworks and understanding problems um, in such a way that you can... It's not that you're applying a lot of technical ability to it, but you're applying a uh, like you under an, a different understanding, you know, a unique understanding to it, su- such that you uh, you you become a more of a unique perspective. And I think as designers, you we we do need to have a opinion, and we do need to have um, a point of view on on a variety of, of, of subjects so, so that it's important to not just be this sort of cookie cutter, um, you know, uh, career. You want to be able to stress it and, and um, strain it in, in interesting ways. And I think that OCAD challenged me in, in, in some of those ways so, so that I can, you know, be better at thinking about a problem rather than just sort of trying to solve it all the time. That makes sense. You're a senior product designer. So if you were to hire like an assistant or someone to join your team, mm-hmm. what kind of traits are you looking for? And I'm talking about both technical things that you're looking for in a designer, but sure. also, uh, you know, personal traits like soft traits, as you might say. Sure. Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, it's important to have, I would say like an eye for detail if you want to talk about technicalities first. So having strong visual communication skills is I think very important. And I feel like I have traits of a graphic designer, although not necessarily trained as one. Um, And I think that that's important in product design just because it is very visual and digital. Um, So I think having a strong visual communication skills is um, essential. But I would say that there are lots of things that um, I would like to almost teach um, any kind of entry-level so if I had a junior designer on my team, I, I would be excited at the idea of, of teaching them what I, what I think that they, they need to know. Because in the nature of design, there's a lot of different tools out there. They seem to be changing pretty you know consistently every couple of years. And there might be a better way to do it. That's kind of just around the corner. So I would say that I would like to have someone that has a humbleness and eagerness to, to learn um, so that I am able to you know, teach them a style of that, that I, that I like to work in um, style of design. And, uh, and that, that, that I think, you know, lends himself well as a good team member. So if you have this sort of openness, generally, that's what I, it's, it's hard to find that. It's hard to, you know, almost vet for that in an interview. Um, it is de- definitely something led by experience. But I think it's important that uh, anyone who is going through sort of those interviews, um, that kind of interview process, that, that they uh, try to come up with ways to present that to your uh, potential employees um, so that they can understand your point of view and, and think you as a good candidate for um, essentially learning, right? Because I think entry-level positions, I, I definitely hold this position that you shouldn't know everything. And to say that you do is probably a lie. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think just having, a, you know, being a 
a good team member, being open to change, um, being helpful and, and showing that you can raise your hand and ask for help as well. Those are all very core to, to what I find in, in junior designers. Okay. So you're an instructor. So how are you making sure that you're teaching your students these things? And another way to phrase that question is if someone listening to this podcast is in design school, what are the things that you're, you want them to make sure that they're looking out for to make sure that they're picking up from their professor? I definitely believe that, you know, the different teachers have different styles of teaching. I feel like every teacher has a couple of good jokes. And then um, it's, I think, important for students to pick up on, you know, what those three or four jokes might be, because I feel like those are the core things that they can glean value from. And so uh, to be aware of your professors and teachers to understand sort of uh, what their value is in um, not just assigning or marking great your grades or your assignments, um, but but that how that that can apply into you know different career opportunities. So you know I've been trying to in my own class you know since we've transitioned transitioned virtually I've tried to alleviate some of the stressors of learning something that we typically always did in person you know which is drawing you know, watching someone draw and understanding you know a technique and this and that. So I've done. Um, a lot of work to make all that content, you know, very easy and equitable for my students. Um, since I have, you know, the affordance of, you know, a small camera and high definition video, I'm able to like basically give each of my students the best seat um, in the class, which is actually quite interesting in terms of it is almost a better version. It, it is lacking some of the in-person kind of connectivity, but um, I feel like that's something that can transition well in, in, in sort of hybrid um, in-person and, and online. And so to just kind of wrap up this thought is, um, you know, I think that students, I think it's a, it, they should have a, a, a good awareness of what their teachers have to offer and, um, and try to zero in on that so um, that they can transition that into some of those sort of, sort of soft skills that I was talking to earlier in a career opportunity. Let's talk a little bit about what makes you different yourself as a designer. Um, what was it that gave you these opportunities, both um, as a pro- senior product designer, but also to be able to come back and teach at, at OCAD uh, pretty early after graduating? What is it that makes you different as a designer? Sure. I feel like I've just always had this, um, I don't know, like disposition to say yes to every job opportunity, essentially. And I think, you know, I recognize that privilege that there were opportunities given to me and that I can, you know, be able to say yes or no to some of them. Some don't get that kind of option. But I would say that being able to to have uh, opportunities, work opportunities to show my worth and to show my work has been integral to um, progression in a career so early on. Like you said, you know, being able to teach at a the university that I learned, you know, uh, that I studied at not long after, and that was really because I had, you know, um, I had. There was a posting. OCAD was in need of a, of a drawing instructor. Actually, it was a previous um, it was a previous boss of mine that I still keep in touch with that shot me a message saying like you should just do it, you know. And I thought, you know, like yeah, why not? Like I don't <laughs> need to have. I've always thought I always liked educating, and I and I seem to always, I guess, do it regardless of labeling. And 
I found, and I knew that I wanted to eventually, but I thought this might have been one of those things that I had to wait till I'm, I don't know, past my prime of a career and maybe I'd like to sort of integrate it into my day to day. But, um, you know, uh, I thought, you know, to hell with that, let's just go with it and applied and went through the interview process. Um, and, and, uh, you know, here I am teaching, you know, a year in, um, having taught three different semesters, a variety of different students and, um, and it's great. So I'm, I'm still liking it, which is great. Okay. Previously you spoke about how hard it is to convey, uh, openness and a desire to learn in an interview. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas or strategies that you might recommend um, for someone to be able to convey that? I feel like interviews are tough. I was kind of thinking about interviews this past week. Um, and I feel like the ultimate, and this is a bit of a problematic thing for someone that doesn't have any work experience, but the ultimate thing to get is actually a referral from a previous job. Um, I've always looked for referrals to get into you know future jobs. So whether it's a friend in your network that is working somewhere and they think you'd fit, that was a good one. I actually got a job like that. But I've I've gone to a previous boss, asked him to write me a letter so I can include it in my application. That has helped a lot as well. Because I think that interviews are these kind of staged conversations that are a bit hard to uncover, you know, things like openness or humbleness, or um, you might get kind of eagerness, but that could also be excitement. So um, I would say wherever you do work, always look for referrals um, and don't be shy because I think, um, you know, your, your bosses or your colleagues are very happy to do it um, for you. And so to talk a little bit about, I guess, interviewing and trying to show that then um, I would say, you know, do everything, like don't give them a reason to not choose you as a candidate is kind of my point of view on, on interviews then, because you know, what, what an interview is trying to do is just, you know, uh, make sure that you're not a risky candidate. Essentially, if you have, if you reduce the risk by being on time or being even ahead of time by having questions prepared, by you know knowing your material, by understanding the a bit of their work already, then you are essentially taking down those barriers. And I think that's um, really important because if you do get selected as a candidate because you are you know maybe not necessarily the most experienced, but you are you know the least amount of risk. And in, in, um, in as a candidate, and I think that's great because it can get you into the door for however long, and that's where you can show your openness, your eagerness, and the things that otherwise we, you wouldn't be able in a twenty-minute or forty-minute call. Hmm. I think that's really good advice, um, especially what you're saying about referrals. Let's change it up a little bit. Let's do what I like to call the regular routine wheels. And it's landed on any rituals. So can you tell us about any rituals that you have in your job or outside of your job? Well, I do teach one, you know, warm-up ritual essentially for my students. And I think this makes, you know, it's a bit of a, it's essentially a series of sketching, very kind of like almost aimless, essentially sketching out a series of circles, ellipses, lines, in a variety of different patterns or configurations. But what that does is, is kind of create a... Um, a moment before you start working or a moment before you start a sketching session, which could be, you know, even if it's just 20 minutes, warming up for the first minute is actually very important. Um, and you'll, you'll get better sketches from it in general. So 
I like to to recommend that, and and I think it'll actually just sort of pay dividends, really, because you just spend more time with the pen and paper. You spend more time essentially practicing the thing that you're trying to get better at. And I think practice, it's not about being perfect. It's just making progress. So um, this sort of ritual is um, important. And I think students actually do see the difference at the end of a semester to what they've done at the beginning of semester. I was just recently marking all of um, the final assignments for my class. And I saw I was quite excited because the students that were showed up every every week and kept submitting work and were involved in the class, whether it's online or asynchronous, um, they they had great marks by the end of it because they put in the work, they put in the practice, they were applying the, um, the rituals that I think helped them become a better sketcher and a better designer. We're closing up this talk now. So we're going to do a segment I like to call overrated versus underrated. So I'm just, it's, it's a quick fire thing. So I'm just going to throw some, some ideas at you and you let me know if you think they're overrated or underrated. Okay. Sure. Okay. Uh, first one is 3d printing. Overrated. Why? I think it sort of lost its luster. Um, it's become this sort of gimmicky thing. And, you know, the the idea there was just to have manufacturing in everyone's home, but it sort of ended up becoming like everyone can now, uh, I don't know, 3D print a little, you know, plastic handle that broke off of their cabinet or like a new controller to fit around their Nintendo Switch or something like that. You know, it just feels like it's not, um, it didn't live up to its hype or like printing mm. through clothes and stuff like that. You know, like it just sort of... Um, it might have very, you know, good use cases in in 3D printing uh, prototypes for early kind of physical product design, but um, ultimately, it's it's uh, I would say a little bit uh, gimmicky. Okay, uh, overrated or underrated sketching, or uh, the importance of the ability to sketch for someone working in design. I would say it's definitely underrated, and to say more is just that not a lot of it's kind of surprising that not a lot of designers, quote unquote, um, think that they are good at drawing, which is fine. I just feel like there's a sort of stigma around drawing that you need to have some sort of, um, you know, higher power talent that is given to you. But it is totally like a muscle you can stretch and and grow. Um, and if you have this visual or this ability to, to sketch or just ability to visualize somebody's thought or idea or concept, it becomes a super important tool so that you can all agree and point to something and say, that works, that doesn't. Okay. What about uh, Adobe Creative Suite? Definitely overrated. You know, it's a collection of a lot of very powerful tools, but a lot of these tools are just, you know, hidden behind an expensive paywall that are, um, you know, it doesn't seem very democratic. It feels very like um, greedy. It feels, I don't know, <laughs> that's sort of my perspective. And so many of these tools have been emulated, replicated, innovated on such that they are being totally replaced. I don't really use many Adobe Creative Suite tools, as you can probably <laughs> hear from my answer. Okay, and last one, a bit different, but I know that you're really into this, uh, Formula One. Definitely underrated. I'd say that it's not just, uh, you know, boys driving fast cars. Um, actually, there's a lot of women in Formula One in, <laughs> in and around the paddock. So it is definitely not just about boys driving fast cars. But there is lots to do in the sort of strategy of a race, 
preparing for a race, um, the like critical intensity, um, or I guess the physicality on the drivers to be driving for like an hour or two and, uh, you know, fastest car, um, in on the earth essentially. And, um, and yeah, having, having to make those, you know, incredibly difficult decisions, um, you know, all while everyone else is doing the exact same thing is um, really engaging and entertaining. So it has a lot of interest from my point of view. <laughs> okay. Um, what kind of people do you think should be trying to work in product design? Um, I would say that in product design generally, I could say that anyone that has um, and this sort of ability or interest in being able to translate one thing to the next, and I would say like something that is maybe more abstract into something that's more concrete or more useful, that's definitely something that is essential or core to product design. And to say, you know, what's important or what kind of person needs to work in or should work in product design and healthcare is um, making sure that you have, you know, empathy and compassion. Um, you know, a lot of the work that you do in healthcare is, you know, tied to people's health. And at that point, people. And if you don't have that understanding or empathy for what someone might be going through and, and know how your product, you know, plays a part in that, then I think you, um, you know, it, you aren't essentially like, you know, connecting at the deepest level. And I think that this is a really important industry to be, to make sure that it has the right design. I think it's one of these um, laggards in a way where we've seen innovations in, you know, uh, in finance or travel um, in a variety of ways with, you know, having so many different, you know, uh, mobile applications for banking or, you know, just the emergence of Airbnb and, and, you know, um, being able to uh, essentially, you know, structured travel around one specific app or brand is, is really powerful. And I think design has a lot to do with that. So um, healthcare has certainly been, I would say, more on the radar in the last couple of years. But I think it's important to um, yeah, have empathy, compassion, and this, you know, willingness or interest in, 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 in translating uh, abstract ideas and, and product design in healthcare. Okay. Um, this podcast is trying to help people understand jobs and career paths that they hadn't thought of before. Are there any jobs that you would be really interested in hearing about or that you think not enough people know about? Actually, there's a lot of interesting things that are happening in research and healthcare. And I think that that is, I, I would only sort of recommend that because I think that it's hard to learn about or understand because it is so hidden, there are a lot of barriers to the sort of transparency of it. So I would say that would be interesting just because it is, um, you know, it, 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 to learn from even like a research assistant, understanding the nuances of how a study might work um, and, and, and its impact on healthcare. Because a lot of healthcare, you know, does go through these trials and goes through uh, these different studies such that they make sure that it is safe for everyone to use and that it is uh, actually solving the problem that that um, needs addressing. So I would say that would be definitely something that, you know, you don't have a insight from healthcare design. That's definitely a, a job I would learn, try to learn more about. Awesome. Um, Adam, it was so interesting talking to you for a second time, just because we talked about 
completely different things and even some of your opinions on like some of the overrated, underrated things change. So it's just so interesting to talk to you again. Thanks so much for coming on, answering my questions, informing us about what you do. Where can the listeners find you and get in touch? Uh, you can just find me on Instagram. It's just my first name and last name. So good luck spelling it. <laughs> <laughs> and listeners, I also want to give you a heads up that Adam also uh, does some pottery. So I'll link his website in the show notes if you want, if you're looking for some cute little bowls. Listener, thanks so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, you can text me at 647-400-3212 with any comments, ideas, or suggestions. Next week, we're going to talk to someone about something else. But until then, thank you and get home safe. 